Hello and welcome to Not a Buffalo, the show where we discuss the science and technology that will save the world. My name's Ben and wherever I am in the world, it's cold and it's dark and I don't like it. This is Jack and he's fleeing somewhere hot sometime soon, so I'm rather jealous of him right now. How are you, Jack? I'm uh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm looking forward to the uh, to the vacation and the and the sunshine because you know what? Wherever I am in the world, it's also cold and rainy. Do you want to tell us where you're going? No, not really. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, I I was just on holiday last week myself, except I decided to go to Tallinn, Estonia, in November as the sensible person that I am. <laughs> Which, how cold was it? It was minus one degrees at one point. It got up to seven. It got up to seven <laughs> it degrees got up on to one seven. day. Yeah, but there was the thing I noticed about Tallinn is that they have coat hooks everywhere. Like you go into a restaurant and there's lots of coat stands and things. They they they're very well prepared for people having a lot of coats and scarves and hats and gloves that they need to take off when they get yeah. into the restaurant. Um, so it wasn't too bad. Apparently, you can get down to minus twenty degrees. But for us, it was only minus one degree at worst, so it wasn't uh, it wasn't horrendous. I had a big coat; I was fine. Yeah, I'm really I'm very happy that I live somewhere that's not as cold as Tallinn. Tallinn was beautiful, though. I would highly yeah. recommend um, visiting. Maybe not in November, but I definitely highly recommend because the old town is still basically a medieval city. They still have the medieval walls, and there's lots of people walking around in monks' robes and suits mm. of armor and and then you have the fact that it's kind of a nordic country as well and that it's very internet techno internet technology enabled so like everywhere's there's a lot of cashless places and uh yeah you can just pay by card everywhere and public transport's all kind of done via your phone and mm. qr codes and things like that so it's uh it's good this is kind of what i've heard is that estonia's in a lot of ways, Estonia is more like uh, a Scandinavian country than an Eastern European one. Luckily, it wasn't quite as expensive as a Scandinavian country. Hmm, okay. It, is it still know, like, expensive for Eastern Europe? I'd say it's more expensive than, say, Croatia or Slovakia, somewhere like that. Mm. Um, we went into... Like, we'd get a beer for five euros, four euros in, in places. Um, obviously, some of the tourist traps were a bit more expensive, but... Uh, food was probably a little bit cheaper as well. Like we went to we went to fairly cheap places most of the time, just like kind of canteen style places and shopping malls. Mm. And uh, you know you get a meal like a big meal there though for um, eight euros or something. Like they they love potatoes and they love cream and oil. I'm perfectly happy with both of those things. Yeah, like there was lots of I there, there was lots of creamy soups and they add sour cream to a lot of things. And then we we went into this place a couple of times and um I got chips one day like these garlic like thin um garlic french fries and they gave me at least half a kilo of them I'd say. They gave me so wow. many. <laughs> it was a huge bound of them. Like the guy gave me a huge spoonful. I was like, wow, that's quite a lot. And then he went back and gave me another huge spoonful onto the same plate. Like, <laughs> okay, well. Yeah. But yeah, it was great. Yeah. And uh, it was a good week overall. Um, and yeah, I, I'd highly recommend going and checking it out if you ever get the chance. But yeah, probably not November if you're not a fan of the cold. Yeah, no, maybe maybe summer. <laughs> so have you got an interesting story for us? Or maybe maybe even more than one interesting story? As that would be a really short podcast otherwise. My first story is that NASA have um, released their latest version of their software catalogue. 
their software catalog is basically a PDF that you can download from their website, which has a list of all of the software that they've developed and still maintain and run. Mm. Um, and you can use it as a business or as a private individual for basically whatever you want. Some of it still run on NASA servers, so you have to like write an application to use their servers because it's public time. But because they are a publicly funded company, a federally funded company, then all of this is free to use. So they've got um, a virtual reality platform designed with off-the-shelf hardware and game engine software to create digital training environments where engineers can practice procedures. Wow, okay. Got an application that lets users explore the diverse ecosystem of experiments being researched on the International Space Station. And they've also got systems for autonomous navigation, which are like mobile and like low cost. Um, Those ones I've just read out are just like the highlights on a blog post that alerted me to the new catalogue coming out. And I think all three of those are new this year. Um, I'm not, I don't remember them from previous years, but. So you're a regular subscriber to the NASA catalogue? I think I became aware of it last year, so it's something I watch out for, but, you know, this is only the second year that I've been aware of it, um, and I've just caught sight of the actual number. It's 976 software packages, so almost a thousand wow. software packages. Wow. It's fantastic. Like, there's project management stuff, there's business systems, there's uh, design tools, there's all sorts of stuff, because NASA has this huge gamut of things that it needs to do. And so it builds this enormous catalogue of software and that's available to us as the public, which I think is just amazing. Do you know one thing they need to do now? Is it Segway? It's it's baked cookies. Okay. Yes, I'm sorry. With software? Not with software, no, but (laughs) I just wanted to... I'm sorry, it was just such a good opportunity for Segway. I thought I'd cut your story a little bit short. It was a a good opportunity for Segway. (laughs) Yeah, so NASA have decided that... To quote Jordana Fitchenbaum, who is Zero G Kitchen's social media specialist, when you're in space, you want to have the smell of cookies. I do understand where she's coming from. Yeah, so they've basically created a Zero G oven and they've already sent up the chocolate chip cookie dough, which is in a freezer on the International Space Station, and they're going to bake cookies. Is that, is that a spinning oven? I'm not quite sure. It doesn't really go into how the oven works. It's the first of its kind, but it basically just says, look, we can bake cookies in space now so astronauts don't have to eat, you know, pizza in a tube or whatever it was they were eating before. I I was thinking you could do that or you could also like you could have maybe airflow would work to keep like the shape of it. But I'm not I'm not sure. Yeah, well, apparently the, the cookies currently resemble a frozen hockey puck and the oven can get up to 350 degrees fahrenheit which is 177 degrees celsius and it uses electric heating elements apparently it's a, it takes a baking time of 15 to 20 minutes per cookie but it can only do one cookie at a time so it is quite a small <laughs> oven and would be really annoying if you were the last person to get a cookie if you were the last person in line for one because you've had to wait like an hour and 20 minutes then and smell the cookies the entire time i suppose it does prolong the time in which cookie smell will be in the air, though, if you have to cook a full batch one at a time. It does. That's a good point. Oh, wait, I've just... I'm oh, sorry, I've just seen at the end, they're gonna, they have enough for five cookies. They have five things, um, but three of them are going to be returned to Earth for analysis. <laughs> so only two astronauts get cookies. I'd, I'd love to be, like, the NASA guy who was explaining that to the astronauts. It's like... 
I know you're working really hard, but there's no cookies this week. <laughs> we just ne- we need it for science. We need your ovens for science. <laughs> and apparently, it's going to take them a good few weeks to actually install the the cookie the oven as well. So, yeah, this is going to be <laughs> one astronaut is going to get a cookie in like six weeks' time, and it's probably not going to be worth it because something's probably going to go wrong. They they do say they want to see you know they they think this will work, but it's all a theory at the moment, and they need to actually bake the cookie to see if it works and see how zero g will actually affect the the cookie you know it could end up as just basically a pancake blob kind of mush that's not been baked properly yeah awesome if you were thinking about becoming an astronaut but didn't want to miss out on the food that you get back on earth then they're, they're making steps to make it more homely and comfortable for you yeah, and by the time that you become an astronaut with the uh, the rigorous amount of training and the multiple years to prepare for a, a mission, the oven might even be up and running. <laughs> and you'll definitely deserve a cookie for all the work you've done. Yeah, that is true. Definitely deserve a cookie. So anyway, yeah, that was, that was my first story. The reason I asked about the, uh, the spinning oven was because I too have a story about going around in circles. Nice, which is okay. That, uh, yeah, that's right. That's a segue. You're learning. Which is that... You've come so far... <laughs> which is that Delft um, in the Netherlands, in the south of the Netherlands, are developing their very own Where Elon Musk Hyperloop. Oh, I've heard of these guys. Yeah, there's a few companies trying to develop it, isn't there? What's the the name of this company? This one uh, is called uh, Hart Hart Hyperloop. Oh, okay. um, Which is H-A-R-D-T and then hyperloop because you know that's a i feel like that's a common enough word and uh they've received a bunch of investment um in like the last couple of months this is actually a story from uh late october but i think it came out just after we did our last recording okay um so i sort of i'm classifying it as as a november story oh yeah i i save stories over the the month so as soon as we've kind of recorded i then just start saving stories for the next month so their plan is to launch as early as 2025, which is kind of cool. And where are they building it between? Or is it just a test track at the moment? At the moment, it's a test track, but I believe it was the Hague to somewhere. I'm not sure what the other end was going to be, and this article doesn't mention it. Just the sea. <laughs> yeah, just just from the Hague to the... Sort of, <laughs> into that's, the what, that's how they deal with war criminals now. Oh, wow. They just shoot them at... <laughs> A thousand miles an High hour velocity into the, the North Sea. <laughs> Isn't the science wonderful? But yeah, so that's that's the story. And sorry, I find that really amusing. I should say as well, 2025 is their plan for their first commercial hyperloop. So their test track is going to be going up in the next couple of months and years, and then they're planning to do a commercial one by 2025, which is quite soon. Like that's only five, six years away. Yeah, that seems really soon i thought there was i may be getting this wrong because everything seems to be 2030 at the moment but i I thought i saw that the first commercial hyperloop wouldn't be available until at least 2030 but i I mean everything just seems to be focused on 2030 now so i might be making that up i i think 2025 seems really optimistic but i mean more power to them if they manage it that would be very cool yeah i would very much like to have a go on a hyperloop yeah i would can you still read whilst you're traveling? Because that would kind of be a deal. But I'd rather get somewhere slower but be able to entertain myself than have to sit still and just watch the world whiz by too quickly to understand anything for half the time. 
I quite like the idea of being able to, like, commute across a whole continent. That's quite appealing to me. That is... Because then yeah. you could you could live somewhere which is warm, and then you could work somewhere where it's cold and people pay high salaries. That would be ideal, wouldn't it? Just hmm. have a, a little villa in southern Italy and then go and work in Oslo and earn Oslo salaries every day. Or Zurich salaries. Yeah, yeah. Or, like, pop up from Florida to New York for, like, lunch. <laughs> that is the future we want. So that's the, the Delft Hyperloop. That's really cool. Um, well, you know what? They're going to need a good way to power that. And I have some great news coming out of McGill University, who have Ooh. gained tantalising, and yes, they use the word tantalising in the article, new insights into the properties of perovskites. What is a perovskite? That's a good question. I Reading the article... <laughs> I've read the article several times. As far as I can tell, it's some kind of crystal. So, but there's a lot of acronyms in here, and it's quite hard to fo- it's quite hard for me to follow. But basically, McGill University researchers use a multi-dimensional electronic spectrometer, which is a unique instrument hand-built yeah. at McGill and definitely sounds like some bored grad student got to name it to observe the behaviour of electrons in cesium-lead iodide perovskite nanocrystals. And they were able to measure the behavior of electrons over just 10 femtoseconds, which is 10 mm. millionths of a billionth of a second. And, oh yeah, it says right there, perovskites are seemingly solid crystals. Well, there you go. I should have just, just carried on and remembered that bit of the article. I am genuinely struggling to understand the meaning of this for science. <laughs> well, basically, what they do is it challenges our kind of conventional understanding of the difference between liquids and solids. Because the, the perovskite mm. crystals, what they're doing in response to light, they can behave like a liquid. Which, as far as I could understand it, is it allows them to uh, they kind of dance about and that enables them to be more efficient and effective at converting the solar energy into... Uh, electronic energy uh, which oh, okay. is something that could lead to better and cheaper solar panels so yeah the uh, or solar cells i should say which obviously you put into um solar panels um and uh, it also it means they could be more defect tolerant is the word they use which is a little bit more weird but essentially yeah because the crystals kind of act like they can act like a um, liquid then there's less chance of of things going wrong as is my understanding it's i don't think they the, the article didn't really bother to explain it in great detail because i think it's quite complicated but uh yeah basically the good news is that we have found a promising discovery that could lead to better and cheaper solar cells i have a feeling in fact it's a bit more than feeling that i remember the name perovskite or something very similar to it being mentioned in connection with high temperature superconductivity something to do with the structure of it i think is there something particularly special about the structure yeah so they basically they can flow like a liquid but their molecules Mm. are grouped in small and regularly ordered units so they can go into columns that can conduct electrical energy along their whole length so they can serve as basically organic liquid power cables and provide targeted electricity transmission apparently most materials conduct positive charges carried by holes these new molecules can actually conduct the electrons and move the electrons along so that uh, allows yeah as i said them to kind of heal themselves and therefore be defect tolerant but also to conduct electricity more effectively okay and is it like a is it like an orthorhombic or is it a cubic structure they don't say that they just say regular Regular ordered shapes, yeah. Regular ordered units. And yeah, and obviously anything that makes solar panels 
cheaper, more effective, all good. Because yeah, you exactly. definitely, definitely need more technology like that. If so, is it? Would it be used as like a coating or something like that? No, I think you'd actually use it to create. You'd you'd make the solar cells out of these crystals, and then put all, put ah. all the solar cells together to form solar panels, and then yeah, it would um, enable, as I understand it, slightly better and and more efficient transmit uh, transformation of solar energy into electricity. That's really cool. Yeah, and that's kind of an ideal. That's a really ideal application as well. Like it's a very nice time for that to come along. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think we're going to see a lot more things like this. I don't. I don't have any segue apart from. Is your story also positive? Yeah, my story is really positive. There you go. Perfect you know segue. What? If we just go back to the beginning, because my story is about the beginning, um, because it's about the Big Bang. The Big Bang is what we we take as the beginning of the universe, and there is another section called inflation, which is when the universe inflated, because we're good at naming things in science, and we don't really know how to model the bits between the two, and we really can't get back before the Big Bang. Makes sense. That's been that's been a mystery for quite a while. So what this team of researchers at Kenyon College, MIT, and the uh, University of Leiden in the Netherlands have done is they've simulated um, a transition between inflation and the big bang which they call reheating okay and they were doing research into um exotic materials and somebody i don't know who exactly proposed the idea that instead of just cooling as it expanded what if there was a sudden reheating period or there was a variation it wasn't just a a straight line for the heat of the universe as it cooled off because it expanded because as you know when things expand they cool off and it actually works in the modeling. Wow. If this, uh, yeah, right? Um, it's, it's a long way from being anywhere near provable, but assuming that it's correct, this could be used for all sorts of things like faster air travel, because it's got some, I think it has some kind of aerodynamics link as well, because of the basic physics of the universe that it would throw up. But yeah, it's a sort of, it's, it's kind of a fairly random model that's been put together <laughs> by a Dutch American team. And um, and it seems to work, which is really, it's just, it's fantastic. It's one of those things that sometimes the next scientific breakthrough comes from somewhere you wouldn't necessarily expect it to come from. But is it one of those situations where they've kind of done the model and it's worked out the first time unexpectedly and they're now kind of saying to people, please try and find if I've done anything wrong because it'd be really cool if this works, but it shouldn't work because we never get that lucky. So could someone please try and prove this wrong? It is kind of like that. I don't know how many models they tried before they came out with this one and went, ha-ha. But yeah, it does seem like it's they've, they've got a little bit lucky. But yeah, it's it's fantastic. And what the, one of the things they're looking for is finding an imprint in the cosmic microwave background because that's our earliest record of a lot of stuff. Yeah, but they say you know it could be very difficult to find some an imprint in the cosmic microwave background, and it might it might take years for this, but you never know. You know they got they got a model that works at last, so maybe maybe we're on the road to something really really fantastic and a brand new insight about the origins of our universe. That is a really cool story and a very positive story. So yeah, I really like mm. that. Love fundamental science stories. <laughs> I really do. Like stuff that pushes at the really pushes at the boundary of um of our knowledge. Do you think we're starting to develop kind of personalities or traits that are recognisable? Because yeah, now that I think about it, you you do often come up with stories about the you know the kind of the Big Bang and the formation of the universe and kind of the general laws of physics. Whereas I'm much more of a 
oh, here's this cool technology that's been invented or we think we found a better way of doing this thing. I think you've always had a personality. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, but I think there is there is a trend. Like, there are trends and things that we are bringing to the table. And I think it's it's also, it tells you a lot about the kind of stuff you and I read. Yes. As well. Yes, definitely. Do you have any other stories? I think that's kind of it for me. No, that's uh, that is all of my stories. Awesome. Take us out. Thank you very much for listening. Please subscribe to the show to never miss an episode and rate and review us wherever you have the power to do so. If you'd like to get in touch, we are at Not A Buffalo Pod on Twitter, Not A Buffalo Podcast on Facebook, or contact us through our website, notabuffalo.wordpress.com. Bye. Bye-bye.